Entrepreneurs can get stuck in their head, challenged by their thoughts, the voice in their head, and their beliefs. We chat with successful entrepreneurs who share their journey and the lessons learned along the way. The Add Valued Entrepreneurs podcast is edutaining, leaving you with actionable advice to transform your life and create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. Our conversations are for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life they desire. You deserve it. It is possible. It's time for you to add value. Today's guest, Dr. Carly Hudson, attended the University of Western States and is a successful chiropractor who has been in practice for over six years. With additional certifications in massage, yoga, and exercise therapy, she helps hundreds of patients recover from injuries, illness, and chronic pain. As an infant, Dr. Carly suffered a life-threatening illness. She was left with invisible handicaps, including balance disorders, muscle spasticity, and hearing loss. She had to begin again to learn how her body worked, and so she began her path of lifelong learning and healing. With the gift of this injury, Dr. Carly has spent her life exploring how deliberate self-care impacts our mind, body, and spirit. Dr. Carly and I talk about the power of our brain, not only in healing and recovery, but in overall wellness, the value of movement, and the body-brain connection. Good health is achieved with a holistic approach, including mind, body, and spirit. Well, Dr. Carly, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to uh, to have a great conversation and just learn all these different things about our body and mind connection and, and putting those to good use. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've been so excited to be part of your show. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, obviously, as, as a, a doctor of chiropractic, you, you have your own practice. And so you're you're an entrepreneur, you're building your own business. But but really, this has been a life, a lifetime exploration for you. Mm-hmm. Would you mind sharing a little bit about your story? Uh, I'll try and make the nutshell version because basically it goes 35 years and is is still in the making. Uh, <laughs> but I, I started off my life essentially that health was always going to be a concern of mine. Um, at seven months old, I contracted bacterial meningitis, uh, spinal meningitis. And for anyone who doesn't isn't familiar with that whole group of infection, that means that my brain and spinal cord were infected. Um, and it was the bad one. It was the one that I had about a 5% chance of surviving at seven wow. months old. Yeah. So, you know, the good people at Children's Hospital and my mother's conviction that all of my ear infection diagnoses were incorrect. Um, that And I, I give more credit to my mom because what good is all the care in the world if if no one is diagnosing you correctly, um, which does become a little bit of a, a theme of how I care. Anyway, so that saved my life. Um, but I did have a sequela of brain injury. I um, was deaf in my left. I was deaf in both ears and then spent most of my life deaf in my left ear. Uh, and then I had all sorts of motor pattern issues where essentially I moved about the world as if I was already two drinks ahead of everybody. Uh, you know, and this starts from like three years old. So clearly we're hoping that's not the reason. But my walk was all over the place. It was serpentine. I would get confused easily, lost easily. Um, yeah, just basically your drunk friend. And I did a lot of rehab and I did what I needed to get through. But at some point, the medical establishment and the insurance companies said, you're as good as you're going to get, you're done. And I still couldn't hear, couldn't walk in a straight line, couldn't stand on one foot, Um, anxiety, cognitive issues, speech issues, memory, like 
when you hurt your brain, it hurts a lot of things as it turns out. <laughs> and um, I just always knew that that wasn't good enough and that compensating well wasn't a good enough way to get through life. Um, so flash, flash forward and I ended up, um, since this is an entrepreneurial podcast, but I ended up starting my first business at 23 when I became a massage therapist. Um, I originally wanted to be a psychologist and then decided I'd pay my way through school with massage therapy. And once I got my hands on the body, all bets were off. This mm -hmm. is an incredible healing, uh, expressive organism and the layers between emotion and psychology and, and what we might call spirit or belief, all of these things pull into our healing. And so I opened my first practice as a massage therapist out in Boston. And then after that, I found chiropractic. And so that's, that's how I became a chiropractor. Um, but to put a little cherry on top of the story and, you know, whichever way you want to go after that is I did find um, a chiropractor. I found a functional neurologist. Uh, when I was in school, my brain condition was getting worse and worse and worse due to the stress of having to think so much. Um, we were doing about 40 to 50 hours of class time a week, plus all the studying that comes after it. And I just couldn't keep up. My brain was falling behind. And the way it expressed that to me was I was losing control of the left side of my body. Mm. I could deliver an adjustment with my right hand. I had speed and coordination and my left hand was out to lunch mm. and um, I needed a doctor's note so I could take my tests earlier. This was my solution. I was just going to take them outsmart my brain. I was going to take the tests before my brain got tired and I needed a doctor's note and I found this doctor and it was the first doctor I had seen in nearly 30 years who said, you know, I can, I can write you the note and I can fix you. And then I went into the world of functional neurology um, for treatment and that plus several other modalities, if you want to get into it, um, I consider myself handicap free. Mm -hmm. I, I still have places I need to learn and grow and strengthen, but I'm 35 years old and carry none of the baggage that I took with me for most of my life. Mm. Years old. I actually don't know how old I am, but somewhere in there. <laughs> So, so let's, so let's talk about outsmart your brain. <laughs> it was a good plan. It was <laughs> the best plan I had. You know, there, there's a certain, there, there's a certain amount of coping that we have to do. And, and any of your listeners who may have chronic disease or, or have a loved one that has chronic disease, we can't overlook the fact that there is a certain amount of accepting what is accepting where you are at right now. And so I always worked this tightrope of knowing this was not my forever and owning that this was my right now. That right now I couldn't go out in, in my teenage years. I, I didn't do the rebellious thing um, because I couldn't. And I'm sure my parents loved that. Um, I just don't have any great stories because <laughs> I did drive the wrong way down a one-way street once, but that was a sign of my fatigue. The one time I, like, I really went wild that night. I stayed out until 10 o'clock, you see, and I had been exhausted and there's no drinking. There was no drugs. I was just pushing my brain to the limit of fatigue. And I got so confused that I, I got to this intersection as a friend of mine had been driving to his house for years. And I got to this intersection leaving his house and it had one of those medians down the middle that trees 
you know, filling it. And I could not process the spatial difference between the trees and then the depth of the actual wall that showed that there was two one-way streets. And I picked the wrong one. And I turned left down a runway, one-way street. Middle of the night in the suburbs, you know, thank God it was fine. But there was such a wake-up call of recognizing where my brain was right then and having to meet myself at what I was capable of and accepting the consequences of what I was not. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't ever going to be able to heal or get stronger if I kept pushing myself to breaking, because then all I would do would have to pull myself back from broken and there would be no space left to move forward. And that's what I did in, in my chiropractic. I mean, that's so, you know, 15, 20 years later, um, that's what I did in my chiropractic training is, all right, I, I can't push past my brain when it's decided it's done using my left side of my body. Most of my damage was on the left side of my brain. So everything's on the left side of my body. Um, and, and so I would just have to take the test while my brain was awake enough to do it, essentially. Mm -hmm because I could do the adjustments up until about the seventh week of my 10 week quarter. But after that, no matter how expertly I had done it, I just didn't have the nerve power to carry it out. And I mm -hmm. had to accept that. Wow. Well, the brain obviously is, is incredible. And, and yours is, is coming from a place of recovery. Mm -hmm. What, what astonishes me is the amount of the things that the brain will do for people who have a normal body and yet the brain will cause injury or illness to, to compensate for mm -hmm. um, relationship to compensate for um, attitude or, or limitation that, mm -hmm. that, it, that it believes that it just believes to exist. Right. In your case, you're, you're, you're pushing up against a physical limitation that was based on an injury or illness. Mm -hmm. um, but the brain will create that for the people that don't have it if they believe that they have it. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the incredible thing about the brain and where I really believe that knowing, not accepting the diagnosis that these handicaps and these injuries were forever. Because if I had accepted that diagnosis, that becomes a limiting belief. And, and we know now through the study of epigenet epigenetics, I mean, it's, it's still a niche area of, of medicine and healing, but the evidence is exploding everywhere that how we feel and how we perceive ourselves and how we perceive our strengths really shows up in how, um, how we're able to heal and how we're able to progress forward. So part of it is that my parents never treated me like I was handicapped. I, I learned that I needed to sit at the front of the classroom so I could hear the teacher and I needed to let them know that I had a, I had a suppressed immune system. We'll add that to the list. I, was <laughs> out, I got a list, man. I, there's not enough time. Like, it's a podcast only a half hour. We'll, <laughs> we'll just get to the list as it shows up. Um, but that I would miss a lot of school because of my illness. And after that, um, normal kid, go be, go do. And you don't sink into a despair of this is all I have. Again, it's this tightrope of hope that this is what I have right now, but this is not all I have. Mm. And we can, we can ride that path either into despair or into healing. 
Yeah, so good. So obviously you learned that rest was an important aspect, especially for your body. But for those mm -hmm. that have a normal brain and a normal body, however mm -hmm. we define that, um, what, are, what, what is the importance of, of rest and rejuvenation? So rest, rejuvenation, recovery, these are the moments that we get to heal our body just from going through the day. Um, you know, we don't, I, I think globally, we, we seek to understand that getting through the day is a stressful experience for our bodies and our, and our minds and our hearts. And I don't mean to say stressful in the like, this is bad kind of way, but that we are meant to use, we are meant to stress, we are meant to get some wear and tear. Um, it needs to be kind of the Goldilocks amount of wear and tear, though, <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, too little and we turn to useless mush because we're not challenging ourselves too much. And we are constantly being run ragged by the kind of chronic stress and burnout fatigue that is so rampant these days. Just enough, the Goldilocks amount, then we're pushing our bodies and then we're giving ourselves a chance to rest and recover. That rest and recovery is essentially your body's way of taking stock of all that has gone through the day. You know, a good night's sleep, that solid eight hours of sleep, not the four hours that you can squeeze in after your 14 hour day of work. And then you have to get in your workout and, and make dinner and take care. Four hours is not enough. I, I, I know you're doing it. I know you can do it, but you need more. I'm here to tell you. Um, but that eight hours of sleep is when we convert those short-term memories into long-term memories. It's our brain um, actually shrinks and squeezes out all the fluid so that it can be reperfused with new fluid the next day. Everything gets a little wear and tear when we shut down for the night. But along with that, not just a good night's sleep, but meditation and breathing and nutritious movement this is what tells our body that we are safe and helps break that burnout cycle of panic, panic, panic more so that we can lower our blood pressure and go back into growth mode. When we are in constant panic mode, we are only focused on surviving and we can't survive and grow at the same time. So I think I wandered there, but hopefully that that got oh, somewhere <laughs> so so valuable i mean obviously our culture as a as a whole has encouraged this this hustle mm -hmm. and and even and even you mentioned you know going to school and then homework and then we're training people to to spend an eight-hour day working at work mm -hmm. and then taking it home with them as well and so this this preparation system we've created um starts that stress at a, at a pretty young age. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that was my graduate work, but I, I don't remember. So back elementary school, but when I was in high school, I did all AP classes and, you know, we'd, we'd go through the whole school day and I would still have five or six hours of homework. And at one point I actually sat down and I, I did the math of what each of my teachers said, oh, this should just take you a half hour. This should just take you 45 minutes. And I added it up across my seven, I think I had seven classes, my seven class day. And suddenly I had six or seven hours of homework that was due the next day. And all the teachers knew that we all had to go to seven classes a day. And I just wondered if any of them did the math for what we were taking home with ourselves. You're right, we are trained for it for a very young age. Absolutely. So mm -hmm. you mentioned something, um, 
nutrition mm-hmm. movement somewhere in there you, you mentioned nutrition and movement mm-hmm. so let, let's let's explore the value of of that for the body yeah so i like that you broke it down into two pieces i i think i i actually said nutritious movement um which is a lot of what i teach in my practice as a chiropractor so that's that's my bias of healing for what i teach my patients but we need good nutrition and we need movement um there's nothing new under the sun so i'm going to be telling you things that you have heard before and my only hope is that i'm going to say them in a way that makes you think maybe i'll try them this time but our body is fueled by whole foods and it's not as simple as calories in calories out if that was the case uh, uh, the calorie weight of a snickers bar would be worth the same thing as the calorie weight of a nice salad with maybe some chicken on it and some good you know olive oil good fats in there that they would be equal but they are not equal in the in the eyes of your body obviously because what we are made up of are the building blocks that is inherent in this food and chemically chemically processed food is not food it's chemically (laughs) processed uh chewing experiments versus you know eating whole foods now you're getting the building blocks that you need to make up for the wear and tear you did throughout the day. You need the protein pieces, whether you're getting them from animal sources or not, you need the protein pieces to replenish and rebuild the proteins in your body. You need the minerals that come from plants to replenish the minerals that you need for the um, hormonal and chemical reactions that give you feelings and excitement and energy you have to put those in your body so that you can be supplied every day. And a lot, so that's the nutritious food part that if you're not fueling yourself with, with real building blocks for what your body exists on, you're going to be running a deficit. You're going to be just filling up with chemical stuff that, that doesn't do a whole lot for you to put it very simply. The other thing that I talk about is nutritious movement. And that, like I said, is my bias because of what I teach. And a lot a lot about the bias because I had movement disorders my whole life. And all I wanted was the freedom of movement, um, desperately. And, and to still be able to move and still be able to engage with your body is will always be freedom to me. But yet we live in a society where we spend eight hours a day sitting, most of us. Um, I happen to work in a job where I'm circling around a chiropractic table for eight hours and I love it. But I recently went to a continuing ed conference and I sat for my classes for eight hours and it gave me so much empathy for how much that hurts, for how much that sucks. Our bodies are meant to move and not just your workout three times a week, which is fantastic. That's great to get your heart rate up. It's good to get your blood pumping great for stress management. I love it. I'm not trying to take that away from you. But an hour and a half of dedicated gym time is not in any world of balance going to outweigh a 40 hour work week spent sitting behind a computer. Our bodies are meant to move. We learn by moving our butt, our our blood increases. um, You get that blood pumping again by moving our lymph system which takes the trash out of our body is only activated by moving all of these things we need to engage with our whole bodies and that's what makes movement nutritious not just exercise 
Nice. So, so what do you recommend for, especially for a person that does have that 40 hour, ooh. Yeah, that 40 hour week in the chair. What, what, what tools can they use to, um, to create some movement, create some opportunity? Well, I know that about, oh, I don't know, five years or so, there was that article that came out that said sitting is the new smoking, right? Remember that one? <laughs> <laughs> and so then everybody gets their standing desk and then they stand at their desk, but they also don't move while they're standing. Now they have assumed a new static position that just has them more upright. And there's some benefits to that. But really what I feel like that article should have said is um, not moving <laughs> is the new smoking. And so whatever you can do to bring variety to your work day, and this has actually opened up a lot. It's one of the silver linings of the last two years is that as everybody's work environment has changed so much, so many people are at home or at least part-time at home if you have an office job, now you're not the weirdo pacing around your cubicle. You're the weirdo pacing around your kitchen, but there's nobody there to witness it. So you know, if you have a conference call and it's not stuck in front of a video screen, pop on your headsets and do laps around the house. And these aren't laps for cardiovascular fitness. These are laps for the sake of walking. You know, humans as, as a species are meant to walk for long distances, miles of t at, at a time. And so just taking your conversation on a walk or your business meeting on a walk. Say you've got somebody local. Don't go sit at a coffee shop go for a walk. So there's one. Certainly being able to have a standing desk so you can stand versus sit part of your day, that induces more movement. Uh, I have a couple of patients that I just love their ingenuity. They get things like a, a wobble board or a rebounder, one of those small trampolines, and they just bounce their way through their meetings. They're sitting on their little wobble board and they're bouncing, but they're shifting their weight back and forward. They're engaging their core. And we can get into why all that is important, but they keep shifting and moving throughout their whole workday. You know, this whole idea that we take the fidgety kid in elementary school and say, you're not sitting still, you're the problem. I think we should be listening to this fidgety kid who wants to go run around outside and say, that's, uh, that's pretty smart. <laughs> We could we could go all day and talk about how the schools have drugged <laughs> the energy out of out of young boys, especially yeah. when they were created for something completely different than the system that we're trying to force them into. I mean, um, <laughs> if I can just take one sideline on on these on kids, though, it's that we want them to focus, right? And that's why we're we're forcing them to sit in these chairs and say, "You will focus. You will listen." But if we start that at too young of an age where they haven't been running around, they haven't learned to engage their center body, their core. And there's there's a level of core at our shoulders. There's one in our belly. There's in our butts. Like this whole middle trunk of our body needs to be strong and coordinated. It creates wiring that goes to either side of our brain, which helps with critical thinking, imaginative thinking, all the things we want our children to do. But most importantly, it's what allows us to sit sitting is a workout. And if you don't have core strength, these kids are literally falling out of their chairs because they haven't been allowed to play enough to strengthen their core and strengthen their trunk muscles. I am seeing younger and younger kids with physical ailments that belong nowhere, honestly, but that we see in adults. So as well, just <laughs> and, and not even just on the physical side, but on the brain side, Mm -hmm. we've taken a bunch of kids and told them 
something's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. You need to take this medication so that you can focus or so that you can be slowed down. Your brain is slowed down enough that, mm -hmm. that it seems like to everybody else around that you're focusing, but really you're just asleep with your eyes open. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and to take it back to, you know, how we, what we believe about ourselves and our health mm -hmm. is, you know, now these kids believe that movement gets them in trouble. The wiggles are disrespectful and that they are a problem for wanting to run and play and move as they were wired to do. And now they are a problem and they carry that problem with them throughout their educational career. Hmm. Well, and into adulthood, because then they believe, oh, I've got depression. Oh, I got to mm -hmm. take this medicine for this. I got to take this medicine for mm -hmm. that. Um, and we've completely and and I'm not even. I don't even know for sure. I mean, obviously, I think I truly believe that their brain wiring gets hampered by the drugs and it gets hampered by the mindset that that it creates. And so so now, yeah, their ability to focus requires medication in their mind. And so they switch from Ritalin to Xanax to whatever other thing, rather than exploring the realities of movement. You know, if I go to the gym in the morning, I solve a lot of these issues and then I can focus throughout the day. Uh, and, and I think we've we've betrayed the natural rhythm of the mm -hmm. body rather than engaging with it. Yeah. And I, I, I don't disagree with your with your premise. I can't speak directly to the, the progression of pharmaceuticals in that way. It's just not not the scope I'm, I'm in. But what I can say very succinctly is that there have been numerous studies that show the very best thing for depression and anxiety uh, with very little side effects and great long-term outcomes, great um, positive side effects, I guess I should say. And that's movement and exercise. It outperforms um, pharmaceutical interventions one, one after another. And so what I can certainly say from, from my bias of movement is that when we stop letting kids move, we stop um, supporting the uh, neuronal connections across their brain. We stop with that playful interaction with their community. Um, we stop with the, the endorphins and the hormones that come from all of that movement. And all of that will certainly add up to a great big pile of depression. And, you know, I, I, like I said, I had movement disorders. Uh, I, I had a lot of stuff going on, so I can't say it was just because I couldn't move and I, and I could move. I did play, I did what I could, but I, I was quite the bookworm and I, I dealt with clinical depression in, um, in my teen years. I, I was suicidally depressed by the time I was 19 for all, all the, all the health stuff that I, mm -hmm. I had been carrying with me. Um, it got too heavy. I didn't know how to ask for help. Um, and, and I was tired of it. Um, and, and what came around from that is without pharmaceutical intervention, I learned how to witness myself. I learned how to ask for help. Um, and I learned most importantly, how to tell myself a different story. I stopped hmm. telling myself that I was suck, that I sucked and I was broken and I wasn't worth any of these things. I wasn't worth keeping up with. I wasn't worth people slowing down to help me. I, I learned to tell myself I was worth so much more and, and I had more energy. I, I, I 
got out and I did more. And that was even before I healed my movement disorders. Mm, so powerful. Mm. Like that, uh, how a 19 year old figures out how to change their stories. I mean, obviously that's, that's Great a huge therapist. Great that's, therapist. <laughs> yeah, that's a huge, huge yeah. win. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that's my driver for helping people just with limiting beliefs, mm -hmm. but to, to get to the level of depression and, and those things and, and the power of, of changing your story that you're telling yourself, which of mm -hmm. course changes your beliefs, which changes your habits, which changes your actions um, is so, so powerful. Yeah. Um, so could you, could you explore a little bit more about changing the story, the value of, of changing the story? Oh, it's, it's everything. I mean, that there, no, um, <laughs> no, it, it really is. It, when when we get caught in the idea of uh, a negativity bias and our brain is is lazy it, it wants to keep things efficient and so it's going to look for what you tell it to look for and nothing else mm -hmm. I, i'm oversimplifying neuroscience to such an egregious degree but just <laughs> on it um but it 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 has this bias and so if i've decided that i'm broken and that I can't keep up with my peers and that no one has suffered the way that I have suffered. Um, and I'm just done with this life, this life that I've been living. Um, I had a lot of evidence going into my depression. I mean, let's be honest here, uh, but I find more evidence. I find mm -hmm. more evidence of how no one has ever suffered the way I have suffered and no one no one understands and the evidence piles up and piles up. And then it starts creating the story of this is forever. And there's one way up. Hmm. And, and I, and I, I got to the point where I, I considered my options and I, I had a, when I was ready, if I was ever ready, I would find my way out. Hmm. And, and, you know, sometimes winning is just knowing that you have enough left in the bucket to do one more day at a time. And so that's what I started with is I, I decided that wasn't what I wanted. And I would just do one more day at a time. I had enough for today. I had enough for this morning. And, and then eventually my parents got me into therapy. Thank goodness. And the therapist that I saw so abruptly asked this moody 19 year old, what makes you so special? <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> and he shut me up and I am a talker. I, to, to strike me silent is, is a thing. And, and I had no answer. And you go, what makes you so special that you get to suffer more than anybody else with your story? Mm -hmm. And even though I knew I had a pretty good story, I also knew some other stories in the world. And once I got honest about it, maybe I wasn't so special. And the more important mm -hmm. thing that he said was what came next. And he said, okay, so if you are not so special that you deserve to suffer more than anybody else in the world, as you so believe, then they are not so special that they deserve more joy than you. Oh, so good. Yep. Yep. And from that, we started a mindfulness exercise where I carried a little note card around in my pocket. And every time, and, and we did some work like, okay, what are my big self-limiting beliefs? And a lot of them you know, had four letter words and were not kind about myself, but what are my biggest self-limiting beliefs? And let's take the top three. 
And every time you think this, every time you hear yourself say this, you're going to make a check mark on that card. You're going to stop and replace it with, I, I think at the time I just said, I am worthy. I am mm -hmm. lovable. And for the first couple of days, I never got that card back in my pocket. I was thinking it so frequently. Like I suck. I said, come on. And I'm just putting check mark after this card. This note card is full by lunchtime on the first day. But each time I dutifully took out the card, stop, I am worthy, check mark over and over and over again. And by the second day, the card was only half full by lunchtime. And on and on that went for a few weeks until suddenly the card was in my back pocket and I didn't take it out. Hmm. Every once in a while. We can be unkind to ourselves still. But I had reprogrammed my my brain to see myself as worthy and to see myself as lovable and to see myself not as broken, but as unique with all of these learning opportunities that give me so much empathy for my patients that were someday going to be a gift for the people I care for. Mm -hmm. And... I can tell you the moments I have in my office now with people who have suffered brain injuries the way I have and never been understood. And I get to be the first person that sits across for them and say, I know, mm. I know exactly how you feel and I know who to send you to so you can feel better. It makes it worth it. It mm. really does. Absolutely. We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by Add Value to Life Coaching and their Inner Circle Team Coaching with a new team forming in January. Limited seats are available. Apply during the month of December to be a part of this group coaching program. It can be found at addvalue2life.com. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. And obviously, neither one of us are professionals on that side, on the therapy side. And so <laughs> if you are at that place where you're feeling hopeless and, mm -hmm. and, and you need somebody to call, there are resources. And so oh, please yeah. reach out because if you only have hope for that half day or hope for that, mm -hmm. that, that, you know, one day at a time, that that's a point where, where you need to get professional help. Oh, absolutely. But if, you, but if you have that hope and you're still feeling this, this lack of self-love, that's a, it's a really powerful exercise, right? To, to challenge yourself to, to the positivity bias, right? To, to challenge your brain to say, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't, I don't have to accept this negative bias. I can choose a positive bias. Yeah. And, and it does change so much. Um, and, and, and not just in how you feel about yourself, but obviously if you can experience self-love, mm -hmm. you can experience love for others. Yeah. And it, and it really does have the power to change everything. It does. I, I think about, um, I I've been with my husband. We met when we were 16, started dating at 18. And so he's been here with me through all of it for whatever reason he decided he wanted to come along for this ride and and I'm really lucky to have him and and there was a point in the midst of my depression where he could not tell me he loved me enough for me to believe it because mm. I, I I was an empty pit and everything just fell straight to the bottom and suddenly that idea of self-love and that idea of self-worth started repairing the hole in the bucket so to speak and, and once I placed a container around myself that was worth filling, everything, everything started to, to stick. Everything started to fill up that bucket. It's um, so, that's so good. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, but that's the truth of mm -hmm. w when you have a hole in your bucket, 
And even if somebody is loving you as much as they possibly can, mm -hmm. it'll still never, never hold. Yeah. It, it requires self-love. Um, and, and just like the positivity required, the mindset required for, for success. If you mm -hmm. don't believe you're worthy of that success, you have a hole in that bucket and nobody outside of you will fill that bucket until, until you plug that hole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's lovely to have uh, my patients and my clients when I was a massage therapist, um, tell me how, how much they enjoyed my, my care and how much they, um, would, wanted to come back. But I had to have the, um, the, the complete bucket, <laughs> the, the healed bucket to have the hubris to say, yes, I'm worth it. I'm worth you paying me the amount of money that I, that I am asking. And I am worth you being on my schedule or having to wait to be on my schedule because now I'm worth, I'm worth you waiting for two weeks mm -hmm. or they would go find somebody who was worth it. And the lessons came out across my business for, for years now. All right. So you mentioned your husband, mm -hmm. obviously he's a pretty terrific guy that, that, yeah. uh, you know, you're, we're, we're all on a journey, right? We're all on this journey of weirdness and, and every <laughs> relationship has whatever weirdness that, that comes along. But so what was your most memorable date? Oh, my most memorable date. God, we've, I'll, my most, yeah, my favorite date. And it's not weird. Um, it's, it, it felt like a snow globe <laughs> that we were living in Boston at the time. We're both from Colorado, but we went to Boston so he could go to BU. And in Coolidge Corner, there is an old, old movie theater. And we went to, and we watched The King's Speech um, which is just a fantastic movie. Uh, I forget which British King was overcoming a stutter, but I just thought it was amazing. Again, this overcoming with, with sheer conviction. And then we walked outside and it was a, a wintry New England evening and the snow was just falling in the most perfect little flurries. And we had hot chocolate and we had snuck a little schnapps into our hot chocolate and we had our we took our little peppermint patties and we just walked up and down the 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 streets of boston in the snow and and walked home and it was just the most beautiful simple date i loved it <laughs> nice i love that snow globe moment that's yeah. that's, that's pretty good way <laughs> to remember it so you, we mentioned growth mindset and mm -hmm. obviously the the brain body connection can you can you short into the value of having a growth mindset? Mm -hmm. So into the body and where the growth mindset matters. This is going to take us into a little uh, crash course of physiology. So if we are in a stressful, panicked state most of the time, every time our phone dings, every time we see a notification, every time we leave the news quietly yelling at us in the corner of our home and never turn off the TV, that increases stress in our body. And whether it starts with the idea of I am stressed and then I'm going to negatively bias all these things that I'm looking for in my life that are stressed, or, you know, it legitimately starts from a place of um, my work is hard, my life is hard. All of that starts to increase the cortisol. And again, Goldilocks. Cortisol is not good nor bad, but it has to be just right. Too much, damaging, too little, like slug. If only we had a cortisol meter. Exactly. We need a cortisol meter. <laughs> um, your blood pressure. Kind of, no, um, that's, that's too simple. But, but this whole stress idea is also going to feed forward into a negativity mindset. 
because when your stress is high, you can't think with the frontal cortex of your brain. This executive functioning and long-term planning and all of that starts to shut down essentially for convenience. And we draw back into the so-called lower or more primitive areas of our brain where our decisions start to become emotional and they start to become immediate, fix the problem in front of you so you don't die kind of processing. We can interrupt that. We can interrupt that loop by taking away all of the negative stimuli, which I highly recommend. Most of it's pretty easy. Turn off the notifications on your phone. Turn off the TV. I don't care what channel you're watching. It's all scary. Turn it off. Okay. Medical advice. But if we can pause and feed forward this positive mindset, and I'm not talking just about think happy thoughts. I mean, that's that's great. If you got Tinkerbell with you, the happy thoughts are going to get you really far. But we're talking about really integrating into your belief system in, in a diligent, mindful way. Remember, I had to take that card out every other freaking, I, I want to swear, but every other second to re, retrain myself at the most base level, the unconscious mind. It's the unconscious mind that's driving the boat. So we've got to pull that into the unconscious mind of belief to have that positive mindset. And we can do that going back to the rest, recovery, and rejuvenation that idea. We can do that with things like meditation, clearing the mind, simply taking away that negative stimulus for five minutes at a time. Start there. Breathe quietly and watch those negative thoughts just float by like a leaf on a river. Don't attach to them. Don't keep them. And start to pull back from that negativity bias. Those moments change your physiology, change the rate at which your heart is beating, the struggle with which it is beating. It changes how you breathe from up here in your upper lungs to drop down into a full breath. How we breathe, how we access our breath changes our neurology, changes whether we're in fight or flight or we're in rest and digest. So this has significant short-term and long-term impact on your health, on cardiovascular disease, on autoimmune disorders, um, on your immune system itself in this very moment of today, in case you feel like you need to have a really strong immune system for some reason uh, this year and all years. This has a positive impact on all of it. The number varies depending on the source you go to, but roughly, and at least 80% of all doctor's visits complaints can be traced back to an origin of stress mm. and that negativity bias of feeding forward in that stress and burnout cycle. When the simple but hard things that we should be doing, could be doing on a daily basis could knock it out little by little, piece by piece. So let's talk a little bit more about that, those self-care routines. What mm -hmm. what are some routines that, that you recommend making sure? I mean, you mentioned meditation, you mm -hmm. mentioned movement exercise. Um, if someone were to, to add to their routine or, or establish a routine, what, what things would you include? Well, first, I would recommend not to stress yourself out by adding too much at once. 
because then <laughs> we've got, you see what we did there. Um, pick one thing and pick it, <laughs> pick it, do it until, until you've got it down, until it is part of your routine. Because otherwise it just becomes another checklist. And I know that all of you have a checklist, you know, of what makes you so special that yours is the longest, but I know yours is the longest. So, because mine is. <laughs> um, so don't add it to your checklist. Make it something that can become part of your routine. And so there's a lot of different categories that you can pick from. You know, if meditation piques your interest, start with a morning meditation that's five minutes long. There's all kinds of apps that can give you guided meditation. You can set a timer on your phone with a happy bell to, to end it. Whatever your inroad is, the five-minute meditation. Another thing that's simple and happy is being hydrated. Most of us are dehydrated, and that is stressful on our body. It's not fueling ourselves right. So start with hydrating. Get yourself a nice, I like having a straw. Get yourself a nice little water bottle and drink all day until you're drinking and hydrating throughout your day or movement. Um, maybe you're just going to pick that, that 10 minute break that you know you, you get <coughs> used to be the water cooler break, but mm -hmm. now you're going to walk around the block. Or if you work from home, you could do something as simple as walking to work every day by walking out your front door, walking around your block, coming in the back door, coming back in the front door, whatever, whatever you've got your access to, but you just did a handful of steps every morning, movement, you changed your perspective, you started your workday, and then at the end of your workday, commute home, walk around the block the other direction. You're moving and you are taking a moment to close your workday and re-enter your home with a different mindset. All of these are very little. And no, they're not going to get you off your blood pressure medication or get you off of, you know, any other kind of thing that you might be doing in that moment. And I think that's the really hard part about making lifestyle changes and using lifestyle medicine. We're really used to interventions, um, surgical interventions, pharmaceutical interventions that are a light switch. You know, you're going to you're going to take something, you're going to take an aspirin and the pain is gone. Well, the pain's not gone your perception of the pain is gone. So what I am suggesting that you do is that you change little by little your body's resilience, your body's interaction with stress, your body's uh, ability to cope by moving it more, watering it more, being kind to it so that you're not in this constant feed forward of physiology that runs you down, just literally destroys your body. And over time, you're going to find in a way that you forget that you had a headache and the way that you forget that things were hard when things are good again, you'll forget that you're not getting sick every, every other month. You might not realize that your back isn't aching as much as it would. You might not notice that you're not fighting with your partner or your kid as much as you were. But all of this will start to feed forward and suddenly your life is going to be kind of shiny. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, those are those are all really really good and and all fairly simple, right? Like the, the challenge is, I know like adding a workout routine because we want to we want to get rid of you know that extra ten pounds and mm -hmm. recognizing that there is no microwave solution. There is no, I mean, actually, too many have chosen the pharmaceutical or the well, they try pharmaceutical solutions even though every one of them clearly says this doesn't work. But, <laughs> spend yeah. money on it anyway. Mm -hmm. 
and then the surgical solution, right? Like a lap band is not going to solve the problems that that this person's created in their health mm -hmm. long term. Yeah, they may lose they may lose weight because they've cut so much calorie intake out, but ultimately, ten years from now, they're going to be something else is going to go wrong, <laughs> even yeah. if it's not gaining weight, uh, because they haven't solved the the mental. <laughs> <laughs> and, and physiological issues that that have caused this yeah um, and and i I'm, i struggle with i i think our our medical system has done the same thing with depression because doctors have have, have this idea that they want to treat people they want to help people mm -hmm. and and they turn to their pharmaceutical friend and they say well they just don't feel good so give us a drug that can help them feel good and now we've created billions and billions of dollars worth of these drugs that supposedly help people make make people mm -hmm. feel good. And even in their promotion materials, they say they don't even know why or how. Like this just works because it, well, we we don't know. Well, and if the side <laughs> effect is suicide, you, you kind of have to wonder about that. Don't um, you? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when, when we think about that, you know, you made a couple of really good points, like, thinking about the lap band. And I love, I love your term microwave solution. I, I wrote, wrote that down. I, I, I will be stealing that just, Cheers. just to be <laughs> transparent. Um, but we, we kind of need to start looking at what we have always considered symptoms of health and what we might need to look at differently. So, I think one of the gifts of being in chronic, you know, brokenness, and it's in my own way, um, being in chronic pain, is that I don't judge my health on whether or not I have pain. Mm. I judge my health on whether or not I can manage it. And if I know what I need to do to improve it, make it last less long, let it be um, less of a burden on my getting through the day. Now, sure, I could have it not be a burden of getting through the day by taking aspirin. But I got to tell you, some of the nerve pain I experienced, it doesn't care about aspirin. Let me, <laughs> let me tell you. So I had to start thinking of ways of healing it and getting down to the foundational level of it. And so certainly we know, um, especially in conversations about um, very popular viruses right now, that carrying a lot of weight around our midsection, that you know, being in that obese category is going to change the, um, the insulin levels in our blood and, and make us more susceptible to illness. And, and this is true just in general. But if we look at this just as a lose weight, we can lose weight in really unhealthy ways. We can lose weight in ways that are really inflammatory to our systems, that that hurt our connective tissues, that waste away our muscles, that we actually become unhealthier. And that's where the reputation of the yo-yo diets really come in. Or we can lose weight that is in a slow and steady way, but if we do it with good foods and gentle movement, I've seen patients who have chronic knee pain and hip pain and back pain because they're overweight. That's that's what the establishment says. This is because you're carrying too much weight. Well, they've lost five pounds, but they've also lost that pain because they've stopped eating chemical inflammatory foods. And now that has given them another measure of health that has taken away um, the burden of some of what their body is struggling with. 
So doing little things from a really foundational place in a way that's going to add up is going to be far more impactful to our overall health and resiliency than just trying to cut off the thing that's a problem, so to speak. You know, you you cut out the weight and you're still eating in a way that is inflammatory and not healthy for your body. And there are plenty of um, what, what can be called skinny fat where we have a lot of visceral fat deep in our abdomen, even though we have the appearance of health, are still eating crud. It's just not showing up on our bodies the same way. Well, and the lifestyle change mm -hmm. to make that shift. So, yeah. that, so it, it really does require a, a, a mindset shift, a behavior shift, and a mm -hmm. belief shift to, to create a, a long-term solution that helps the body but also is long-term. So we're yeah. no longer on the yo-yo, right? Or the roller coaster. Yeah. I, no one believes that I, I used to be um, 45 pounds heavier than I am now. Mm. Um, a lot of it because of the movement and the depression and, and, and all of these things adding up. And I definitely found comfort in food <laughs> and I, I get a lot of questions about what do I do and what special diet do I eat? And I listen to what my body wants, but it's because I've learned over time, over lifestyle um, changes. You know, I started with things like, what does hungry feel like? And when am I done being hungry? And this is, again, still an oversimplification. There are so many pieces that can get out of bounds and that you may need help pulling back from, just like I needed help with my suicidal depression. I didn't have a malaise. I was down for the count. And certainly there are places around food and eating and lifestyle where we need help, where we need guidance to start listening to our body differently and be kinder. But a really solid rule of thumb is, I just stopped eat, I stopped eating anything that was overly processed. Hmm. I only ate whole foods by and large. You know, I let go of the Kraft macaroni that got me through college. I realized just what happened when I ate drive-through food and wasn't kind for me or the people with whom I shared a house and and started eating whole foods. And that is what I do by and large and it required a mindset shift that said this is not real food. This is packaged and advertised as food, but I know it's not food. I know it doesn't fuel my body. I know it doesn't make me feel good. And I live my life that way. So good. I mean, obviously the, the value for recognizing food as fuel, mm -hmm. that that mindset shift alone is is challenged at every turn in our culture. And, and obviously mm -hmm. our culture, food is emotion, food is comfort, food is... Mm -hmm. Um, so we eat emotionally, we look at menus and, you know, pick out what's going to make us feel better or, you know, what's going to mm -hmm. fire us up versus, you know, what's actually nutritious. And, and our government just feeds the machine with, you know, like you said, calorie count. We can look at the calorie count on a mm -hmm. Snickers bar and a salad and oh, they're the same. I can eat the Snickers bar um, because I'm just counting calories. And, and, and none of that at any level has the government or anyone ever tried to teach us you know mm -hmm. what food is fuel and if you start thinking about food in a different way and and the awareness the body awareness i really liked that you share you know having the awareness of what does hungry feel like mm -hmm. right? 
and even a pain awareness, right? There's so many pains that our body experiences that are good. Yes. They're intended, they're intended just like our emotions, they're intended to give us a message. Yes. And and we we ignore those messages and and we allow those or we tamp those messages down if they're emotions, um, or we set them aside, or we take an aspirin so we don't mm -hmm. have to feel it. And yet that pain is sending us a message about something else. Yeah, I'm, and, I'm so glad you brought that up because yeah. our, our body, like, let, let's be honest here, our, our brain and our body is, is really lazy. It <laughs> is efficient and it wants to get things done with being um, just as sim simple and autopilot as it can. And, and that serves us really well in a lot of ways. But when you take that mindset, you can't think that anything is, is happening by mistake. So if my body is putting forth the energy to give me a headache or to make my nerve pain worse or to give me the I'm starving hunger pains or the, oh my gosh, I'm so full I could burst you know, sensations, it's for a reason. And it starts to create this level of relational respect with yourself. What am I telling me and how am I responding to it? And I think we've all heard at some point is, you know, no one talks to you as, as awful as you do. If, if any of your friends talk to you, talk to someone the way you talk to yourself, I mean, you wouldn't stand for it. And yet, how do we treat ourselves and how do we take this lessons of pain? You know, I, I have a five-year-old and what if my five-year-old came to me and said, um, mommy, this hurts. And I said, just don't pay attention to it. <laughs> just like ignore that. Mommy, I'm hungry. Yeah, that's that's not a useful thing to tell me right now. Um, sorry. It's it's laughable because when a child comes to you and says you're hung they're hungry, you say, here's our plan for feeding you. And maybe you don't get food right now. Maybe you get food in a half hour when I'm done cooking. But here's our plan for feeding you. You know, you, you're hurt. You know, she fell and bumped her head. Did that scare you or did that hurt you? And depending on which one it is, then we can apply a different medicine. And, I, and I'm not talking about an aspirin. I'm, I'm talking <laughs> about, you know, do we assess for damage or do we bring her into your lap and say, it's okay, I know that was scary. What if we did that for ourselves every time our body stuck its little head out of the foxhole and said, I have a problem. Instead of whacking it back down, what if we actually attended to it? What would happen? What well, just, would just, like? just the awareness, right? Mm -hmm. Just the awareness of, oh, that, oh, that knee pain. I get that knee pain every time I do this thing. And rather mm -hmm. than just quitting doing that thing, maybe it's, okay, what, what in that thing am I doing that's causing you know, causing the knee pain, you mm -hmm. know, can that be taken care of lower back pain? Um, so many of the emotional, um, mental pains. And, mm -hmm. and I like that you said, you know, even if I just take her up on my lap and I give her a hug and say, we're going to eat in half an hour, that you've just fired off so many different brain chemicals and relational things that, that will set that hunger aside pretty easily for mm -hmm. half an hour. Um, and, and I think, emotional things we we ignore and we tamp down and we especially you know fear and anger and and sadness and and as a culture we've decided sadness and anger are bad and and we're not allowed to process those right yeah. we have to we have to take drugs to get rid of those or 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 you're a bad person for feeling those mm -hmm. um and 
and everybody does. Yeah. <laughs> and so if you don't have a, a system for processing those feelings and allowing those feelings to, I mean, they're really just, they're, they're warning signals, right? Yeah. They're just like the red light at the train track. And guess what happens when the train goes by? The red lights go off. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, what what is this anger? What is the sadness telling you? Are you missing something of value in your life? Are you not living according to your value? Does this person not appear safe to you? And and all of this, I mean, we there are so many amazing psychologists that can go back into even childhood trauma and how we learn to not listen mm. to these symptoms. But I, I'm you don't have to write off the fact that this is this is how you learned as a child and so this is how you shall be forever we are phenomenally changing and growing creatures where just like i learned for my entire childhood that i was broken um it can be unlearned mm -hmm. and absolutely it requires a lot of work doing the simplest things but it can be unlearned absolutely that is, it's just so terrific. Just, I love the power of our brain. I love that, that our brain can, can do so much stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I wish we had a better instruction manual. So, <laughs> so, to, so we could take full advantage. And I know mm -hmm. that, that, that we're learning, right? I yeah. mean, the, the advances in brain science are just, are just incredible, but clearly there is, there is a heavy duty brain body connection when it comes to healing mm -hmm. and when it comes to health, and and I think that culturally we're we're just tapping into that and just starting to figure um, some of those things out and how much we can use our brain and our thoughts to intentionally heal ourselves mm -hmm. um, and take better care of ourselves. So thank you so much for for sharing. I appreciate everything um, that you shared. I usually ask everybody for their words of wisdom at the end. That's the last thing you get to share. Like we just had coffee together and, <laughs> and you're going to leave the table with Car Dr. Carly's words of wisdom. Uh, goodness, uh, no pressure. But honestly, my word of wisdom is kind of comes down into two places is that you are worth the simple things. Mm. You know, simple things work and you're worth doing it. I, I think so often we got caught, we get caught up in deciding that we're worth it. If it is a heroic intervention, if it's a heroic thing, I am worth this gym, gym mm, I am worth this gym membership. I am worth a, a, a giant commitment. And it's harder to say I am worth the inconvenience to my family and my life to walk go for a walk before work every day. Mm -hmm. I am worth the daily commitment to do something little. And that is where all the magic really happens is what can you commit to do every single day? You'll see a 365, you know, moment increase on versus that heroic thing you've committed to twice, mm. three times. So good. You're worth it. Dr. Carly, thank you so much. What a great conversation. I enjoyed every moment and we could probably keep going for, for another hour, but this has been terrific. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me and, and inviting me onto your podcast. I so appreciate being here and I love this conversation. Thank you. If you enjoy the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvalue2entrepreneurs.com.
Our Cyber December deals include one-hour coaching slots for only $97. That's a 75% savings. And we're launching new Inner Circle Team Coaching in 2022. Applications are open in December at addvalue2life.com. In our next episode, Jimmy Nelson discusses the power of a story to get an emotional response and the ability to help people get a quick win. Coach Jimmy talks affiliate marketing and the power of community to build each other's business. Jimmy is passionate about personal growth and helping others find the success story within.